All right. Hello, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us on another Bible study. Um, you, may, you may have noticed I've taken over for Graceful and we put that in the announcements. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to thank him, even though he's not here, for the great job he did in taking us through the first part of Philippians. Um, he did just, he just, it was awesome to see him get to do that. And I've got big shoes to fill. So, um, yeah, credit where credit is due. Um, he's gotten us to this point, and I'm going to be taking us through the rest of Philippians going from here on out. And um, yeah, so to begin with, uh, I wanted to go back and recap some of the historical and thematic context of this letter. Um, we've got a little bit to cover um, just to get ourselves in the right frame of mind because this passage is seen as a sort of transitional passage or um, what I'd call a housekeeping passage in this epistle. And because of that, it's easy to kind of skip over and lose the value and the meaning in this description of Paul sending Epaphroditus and Timothy. So we're going to go ahead and look at some of the previous context um, from the book of Philippians and see how that applies to this uh, passage. Um, so to start off with, just to recap, Paul, this, this letter is written by Paul while he's imprisoned in Rome, probably around 60 to 62 AD. And this is towards the end of his life. Um, it's commonly thought that Paul died after the fire in Rome, and he's put to death by Nero in about 64 AD. And this imprisonment is likely the imprisonment mentioned in Acts 28.30. And let's see, and I'll read that for you. And this is actually... Coincidentally enough, the last verse uh, in the book of Acts, or the second to last, almost. <laughs> and he stayed two full years on his own in renting quarters. There's previous context about guards being posted outside. So it's commonly thought that this letter was written during Paul's imprisonment there. And at that time, he received a financial gift from the Philippians. Um, and that's important because Epaphroditus is the guy who brings it. And this is mentioned in chapter 4, um, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it's good to have context. But let me open up the verse. In Philippians 4.18, it says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And so we'll keep that in mind going forward, because this is the occasion of Paul writing this letter, she sends it back with Epaphroditus to the Philippians. And that is why these instructions are in here to begin with. Um, that's why they're relevant to the book as a whole. So <clears throat> with the historical context out of the way, um, we'll do a quick recap of the thematic content of the letter as well. Um, and... It, and thematic, so it might be easy to see how historically this fits into the letter of Philippians, but it's a little bit of a trickier thing to see how the themes work. And it, it's hard to see how these housekeeping instructions to people who have been dead for 2,000 plus years has fits into the broader context, but it does. Um, and I'll show that as we go along. But a few of the themes in this letter that we've been looking at so far include humility, especially. Um, 
And that's going to come in pretty key in this passage. And there's a, a lot of importance with humility in the Christian life. And we're going to see how Epaphroditus and Timothy really embody this and why they're sent. And another theme that runs through this letter is joy and rejoicing. And another sort of lesser theme that's also there is the perseverance and preservation of the saints. Um, and this is to a bit of a lesser degree. So with that context out of the way, I'm, I'll go ahead and just dive into the text and I'll read it for y'all. And again, the text is Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And it goes like this. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all oh wait. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven worth, that he has served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. But I regarded it as necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick and to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Alright, so it's we've got this text here, um, and clearly the main focus of it is going to be on Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, so who exactly are Timothy and Epaphroditus? Um, especially Epaphroditus, he's a little bit of an interesting character. Um, but beginning with Timothy, um, we can see that it, at the very beginning of the letter, um, 1-1, Timothy's name accompanies Paul in the greeting. Um, Paul has a shared history with Timothy in regards to the Philippians. And that's actually because Philippi is the first place that Timothy traveled to after Paul and Silas picked him up on their journey. Um, and so that happened in Acts chapter 16. I'll go ahead and read you the account of Timothy joining them. And it says, Now Paul also arrived at Derbe and at Lystra. And behold, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to keep. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were abounding in number daily. And if you scroll down a little past, bit past verse 10, you can see um, they've gone through... They've had a, Paul's had a vision about Macedonia, um, and they went over there, and Philippi is in Macedonia. So after, after this, after they picked Timothy up, picking up in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we ran straight a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And sitting down, we began to be speaking to women who had assembled. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics and a worshiper of God, was listening, whose heart the Lord opened to pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. So all of that is just to say that um, Timothy has a pretty close connection with the Philippians. Uh, Timothy would have had a front row seat to the conversion of Lydia. Um, in this chapter, we also see that Paul's imprisoned in Philippi, um, and there's an earthquake at the jail, and the Philippian jailer is converted there. And that's a sort of famous Bible story um, as well, if you remember that. But Timothy was there for that. Um, he was present in full, and he got to see all that stuff happen. So when we read about how he has his proven worth um, and how that he's concerned about their circumstances, uh, that that really ties back to his history there. He's been there. Um, he was there early on in the starting of the church there, and he was probably instrumental in helping Paul get things set up in Philippi to begin with. Um, and this is how his worth is proven. And this is probably, you know, the reason that he has that concern about the Philippian circumstances, which is why Paul commends him to them in order to send him to them. Um, and also Timothy's not a stranger to this kind of job that Paul is sending him to do. Um, there's a number of other places where he does the same work to report on churches, to check in with them. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, as doing that, and that's in chapter 16, around verses 10 to 11. Uh, and it says, Now if Timothy comes, take care that he is with you and without fear, for he is doing the Lord's work, as also I am, as also I am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brothers. So there's an important place there. And more than that, he also has a bit of a lengthier description of one of his trips in 1 Thessalonians. Um, and that's chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, it's a lengthy passage, so I won't read all of it, but I'll give us some context. And starting with verse 1, it says, Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we are pleased to be left behind Athens alone. So we sent Timothy our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So Paul trusted Timothy greatly and he was willing and he often sent Timothy on these kinds of missions to check in on places where Paul couldn't be. And this is because he considered Timothy like a son. Um, as per verse 22, he says, uh, for you know of his proven worth that he has served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serves his father. Uh, oh, <laughs> I dropped some stuff. And also you can see this um, paternal kind of affection throughout the um, epistolary letters to Timothy. First um, Timothy 1-2 is a good place, and I won't go there because we're already <laughs> gone through quite a few references. Um, so that's Timothy. That's sort of why he is being sent there, or that's sort of the, the qualifications that he has. Um, but we have a lot less to go off of in terms of describing Epaphroditus. 
he doesn't actually appear anywhere else in the New Testament besides this letter. But from what we do know, we can draw a couple of inferences. So primarily, as I noted in the introduction, Epaphroditus was responsible for delivering the Philippians' financial gift to Paul. Um, but it looks like Epaphroditus also brought with him something just as valuable as the money, his service. Based on Paul's description of Epaphroditus in verse 25, and he calls him a fellow worker and a minister to my need, we can see that when Epaphroditus arrived, he helped Paul out. Um, he probably ended up working and transcribing things maybe, or um, this is all, none of this is, you know, exegetical, but it's likely that he went to where Paul was and he ended up helping Paul out. And he was also there to encourage Paul. Um, you'll notice at the end of the passage today, it says that he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Um, essentially what that means is that he came to encourage Paul during his imprisonment in the stead of the Philippians. So the Philippians couldn't be there to serve Paul by encouraging him. So they sent Epaphroditus instead with the monetary gift and what was lacking in terms of their fellowship and companionship, Epaphroditus made up for and he was there as an encouragement to Paul. And evidently, he was helping Paul a little bit too hard because he fell pretty, pretty ill. Um, but it says that he eventually recovered. And some talk has also been made of Paul's description of Epaphroditus as a, quote, fellow soldier. Uh, this is an interesting point, but some have taken that to mean that Epaphroditus was somehow actually a Roman soldier, possibly even a member of the Praetorian Guard. And while that's not entirely implausible, as there is a garrison stationed in Philippi, I, I don't know that that language that Paul is using there is literal in that sense. And so um, I would take it to mean more something along the lines of a fellow soldier in Christ, something along those lines, although that does not preclude him from being an actual Roman soldier. And I do, I think this, so yeah, I think that description of Epaphroditus is a little bit more figurative than it is literal. Um, so, so that's Timothy and Epaphroditus, sort of at a glance. That's that's who they are. That's their proven worth. That's why Paul is sending them specifically. Now, as to why they're being sent, more generally speaking, and in the context of the letter, and as I said earlier, especially with a view to this theme of humility that is expressed in this letter, we can look back at sort of the more immediate context for the passage. Um, starting in chapter 2, and it's easy to see this passage is somehow transitioning and cutting off after the description of Christ's humility in verses 1 through 18, and then sort of turning into this weird bit about Timothy and Epaphroditus, but they're actually connected. Um, because as Paul talks about humility, he's trying to he's trying to give them an example, and he starts firstly with Christ. Um, so he goes through how Christ is an example of humility to the believer. And basically the reason we ought to be humble, as per Paul's instruction, is because Christ was humble. But Timothy and Epaphroditus are two more examples of this, and these are more tangible ones. Um, so I'll go ahead and read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, just for some context. And it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, any joy of affection and compassion, 
fulfill my joy that you think in the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. That's an important verse. Um, I would highlight that. And continuing on, it says, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with, a th- with God a thing to be grabbed at, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God, the Father. And so this is the immediate context for these instructions about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And the reason that Paul is sending them to Philippi in the same vein of uh, that humility is so that they can be examples for the Philippians. They're tangible examples of the kind of humility that he describes Christ having, the kind of humility he's been writing about. He's really trying to hammer this point home. And so he's doing that in the final sort of nail in the coffin here, uh, (laughs) if you'll pardon the expression, is is sending uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippians. Now, we can assume that if Paul was writing to the Philippians to encourage them to have this mindset of unity and of humility, that there probably was something lacking in that regard. Um, it's likely, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians and tells them, hey, abstain from sexual immorality, for instance. Now, usually you don't have, you don't have to write something like that unless the people in this instance at Corinth are doing something that warrants that kind of instruction. So it's likely that the church at Philippi um, although Paul highly commends them and he praises them, and he's always talking about how much he loves them, they probably had some kind of issue with people being puffed up or prideful and some kind of division. So he writes these instructions about humility and unity. Um, and we can use that then to lead us, because it says in um, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be concerned about your circumstances. Now, what what are those circumstances? And I would posit here that part of those circumstances that they're undergoing and that they need Timothy and Epaphroditus to be sent for is going to be that whatever that lack of humility is um, or the pride that's welling up in the community. We can even see some of these things um, as he even names people out in chapter 4. And he says in chapter 4, verse 2, that he urges Yodia and Synthake to think in the same way in the Lord. And... <laughs> He's kind of calling him out and giving him some grief there. Um, But clearly there was something going on there that had something to do with their lack of humility. So the the reason that we see him talk about humility in this beautiful passage, it's very poetic and very musical almost in its nature. And he turns into talking about how he's sending Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's there to talk about how he's sending them for that purpose, for that circumstance, as per verse 20. And so if we see that in their circumstances, we can then sort of see throughout the letter, um, what is Paul instructing them to do, and why would he need to send Timothy and Epaphroditus? So Timothy and Epaphroditus are there to help them work out their salvation, 
to learn to rejoice in the Lord, um, to humble themselves like Christ, as, as we've talked about. Um, and we and we see too that Paul would have done this himself if he could. He expresses in verse twenty four that he's confident in the Lord that he himself also will be coming shortly. Um, but at this point in Paul's life, at around sixty two A.D. again is the rough idea of when this is written. Paul's Paul's coming to his life is drawing to a close. Uh, he makes a point of handing off these responsibilities to men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, so that he'll have provision and care for his beloved friends in Philippi. And so that he's sending them, and we don't really know if he ends up getting to go, and it's probably likely that he didn't, considering how close this is to his death, but I could be wrong on that. <laughs> but anyway, so there are a couple of things that we can we can take away from this as well. Um, so it's important to note, just for the sake of the context of the letter, why this is important. But also, we can take a couple of things away ourselves. And firstly, if we look at Paul, we can see that while Paul did spend a considerable amount of his life uh, traveling and he was alone, you know, he he needed support. <laughs> um, he, he didn't do it. He wasn't just a lone wolf. He didn't just do it alone and try to stay the course the whole time. He had um, the fellowship and the support and friendship of other believers like Timothy and Epaphroditus who were truly brother and, and like a son and a brother to him. Um, and so we see that he's, he's not really this lone wolf figure. He has the support and backing of friends and, you know, people that he deeply cares for. And he also had a deep care for the church at Philippi. And part of what this passage shows us is that he does more than just talk about that care. So, cause he says it um, in chapter one and he's, uh, he says in verse 7, for it's only right for me to think this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, um, since in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are fellow partakers with me. And he longs for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so, yeah, he, he talks about how much he loves them. But what's intriguing here is we have a picture that shows us how much he loves them, in that he sends these people to go take care of them, um, and then he says that he'll try and come himself. And so he he backs his sentiment up with action. It's not just empty words. And now this pattern this passage also shows a pat- pattern of Christian leadership as well. Um, Paul is pretty much one of the foremost leaders in the church. He's responsible for the explosion of Christianity and all kinds of awesome and crazy cool things. Um, but he is going to die eventually and he knows it. And so he's raising up these people to work and be laborers within, with him. And eventually they're supposed to supersede, or they're supposed to take his place as he fades away and they come into their own as leaders. And we can see a lot more of this pattern if we read through first Timothy and second Timothy. Um, but this, this sending of Epaphroditus in Timothy also shows us how Paul is training up these people to replace him and take on his duties and how he brings up godly men to assist him and ultimately replace him. Now, we can also learn from Timothy and Epaphroditus' example of humility, just as the Philippians did. Now, these men sacrificed quite a bit. Um, They were traveling, they were on the road, 
Um, in Epaphroditus' case, he even <laughs> was in pretty poor health, and and Paul commends him in verse thirty um, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking. Um, you know, these guys were seriously giving up. Um, they had such a high regard for the care of others and the spread of the gospel. And that really is something that we should all emulate. Timothy and Epaphroditus are real examples of what it means when Paul says um, in verse 3 of uh, chapter 2, he says, regard others as more important than yourselves. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that Timothy and Epaphroditus embody this. Um, And just as they embodied it for the Philippians, um, they embody it for us too. And so we look at this passage and as a small a glimpse as it is into their character and their lives, we still have this picture of who they are and what they're doing. Now, uh, well, the things that sort of stick out about this passage, um, it really serves to demonstrate how real and, and solid and tangible the ministry of Paul was. Um, again, we talked about how he backed up his expressions of affection for the Philippians with real action and real conviction. Um, this passage shows us that, hey, these guys were living normal life. <laughs> and I always, um, I find it amusing when I come across these passages in the letters um, because you're just like, wow, this really isn't relevant to me <laughs> because I, what, who, what do I care about? All these weird Greek named people. Um, and that thought comes into your mind, but these are here for a reason, right? The spirit of God was inspired in writing this letter. And these instructions were there for obviously for the sake of the Philippians who received the letter. But there's also real stuff here for us to take away. And um, and I think one of those things is really how how there's flesh and bones on this, how, how the church is growing and how it's working. There, there's real um, rubber meets the road kind of work going on here. And so this picture of Christian humility that Paul has been developing throughout the letter um, which is a key and central theme, really takes on a practical tone here. And we learn from Epaphroditus uh, and Timothy's example. And it's important that we read these letters, when, when we read them, that we remember that they were written to their audience to elicit a response, right? And you can see this in the proscriptive stuff, right? Like, you know, be humble, count others more important than yourselves, those commands, we can also see it in the descriptive stuff, the descriptions of how other people put others before themselves and so forth. And these things were written so that we would do things. And whether that be taking on an attitude of humility, as per this letter, or abstaining from sin, like in 1 Corinthians, or we're engaging in spiritual warfare, like Ephesians. Paul's letters always start with what God has done for us. They always focus in on how God has worked in our lives. Um, and, and through the life of Christ Jesus. But because of this, he then all, you know, it goes on to reason in a lot of cases, is because of this, then do this, right? And so that keeps us from seeing that we're somehow justified. Um, in this instance, we are not justified if we are humble. Um, a, a, an, un, an unregenerate man can't be humble anyway, in a true sense of the word, but even if they could, they could not make themselves right with God through their humility. That only happens through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and through repentance and faith. But if that is the case, if he has died and he is working 
to perfect that work in you, you'll you'll show signs of it and you'll bear examples. And we see this a lot in Paul's writing. Um, there's a lot of call and response. God calls us and we respond. And so when God calls us to humility through the person and work of Christ and through the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his counterparts in Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's calling us too to, to emulate that and to lift other people up by sacrificing. Um, so this week, I would encourage you all to find ways to lift other believers up by sacrificing from your time and, and giving your effort for their betterment, just as Timothy and Epaphroditus did. The instruction rings true here. Count others more important than yourself. And this starts small. Um, somebody once said, and I don't have the quote pinned down exactly, um, everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. This week, remember that Christ's humility and sacrifice for you is real and effective, but it should call you to be humble as well, to move and emulate him. And we have this example here of Timothy and Epaphroditus to encourage that us in that, to, to lead us to be humble. And so we have this inspired example. And let's love it out. Let's follow in the footsteps of these great heroes of the faith. And with that, I've run out of my notes. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, and then we'll open up for a time of question. Uh, an answer. If we have any of those, I'll read through chat. And yeah, so if you'd pray with me. Father, we love you and we glorify your name. We thank you for your word and for opening up it before us tonight and for leading us to seek you and find you in your word. Um, we ask that you would move your spirit in us to lead us to a conviction. Um, of doing the things that we're reading about, of being humble like Christ was humble, um, of emulating and following these examples. Lord, we ask that you would enliven our hearts to the gospel and to live it out and let our theology go out to our fingertips. Let our actions spring out of our commitments. Lord, we trust you um, in the saving work of your son on the cross and we ask that you would continue to bless this time um, of question and answer, and that we would get to the bottom of the text more, um, and that everyone here would be edified. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. We love you, and we trust you, and we worship you. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in Q&A now. Um, and yeah, so questions, you can put those in the text chat or you can raise your hand and I'll invite you on stage if we have any of those. Let me scroll up and see if I, I do not have any questions as of right now, uh, but we, we do have someone typing, so. I'm going to take a drink of water. some out-of-the-box ideas about how we can serve 
others sacrificially. Okay, that's a good one. Um, and so there's a couple of examples. I I brought up the question of or the example of everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. Um, and that was sort of a joke, but also, yeah. Um, I, I know that one one thing that get, gets me is not being willing to just help out with stuff, like around the house, and uh, actually do work. <laughs> so practical, real practical things, like, um, you, you know, you notice a sibling has something going on and has neglected a chore for instance um and you just pick up the slack for him um or you can uh you know and another thing too i noticed as well is so we've gone through the vacation bible school season here and so many people are just in all the group chats i'm in begging for people to go and help out with vbs and nobody's doing doing it no nobody's going to just go watch some kids for an hour and um, get some experience. That That's another way. Um, you, there's always going to be needs in churches and in places like that, that we can, there's, there's always a need to, to meet. Um, and oftentimes it's inconvenient. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the thing you'd want to be doing, but yeah, just picking up, uh, helping other people out, you know, especially helping out with church stuff. Cause I know that <laughs> I can get panicked message all the time, like, oh, we don't have enough people to do this stuff. Um, that would be a good example. I'm trying to think of more personal, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think those are good examples. I'm trying to think of another one. Yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> I should have prepared more stuff. So, so maybe just keeping your eyes open and yeah, looking for opportunities. Um, it's hard to apply a, a catch-all blanket statement because it really is opportunity stuff. Just yeah, neighbors, neighbors too is a good one. Um, and just keeping an eye out for that. But yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. Is just keep your eye open for opportunities to serve and. They'll come. <laughs> Believe me, they'll come. Uh, I I got conscripted into, I was visiting at a church, and I got conscripted into leading worship pretty much like a week after I started visiting there because they um the elder who's leading worship there was out of the town. Um, and I was like, okay. But there's always, there's always stuff to do, um, especially stuff to do that helps to further the gospel. So that would be just be opportunistic. Look out for ways that you can do that. And I hope that answers the question well and good feedback there too. Any more questions? Any more comments? Any critiques? Any, any, anyone want to object to anything that I said? Was I wrong? <laughs> Please, please say, I don't know. Um, uh, oh, okay. That's a great, that's a great objection. Um, <laughs> but I think if we've got no more questions, I have no more typers. I think we can be done. Yeah.